Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning back in to the Painful Truth Podcast. We have a great episode for you today with Daniela Moroz, a multiple kiting world champion and currently the female kiting representative for Team USA at the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. We had a great chat. Daniela is a super impressive sailor and been at the highest level of female kiting for a very, very long time. And it's been interesting to to know how she's trying to stay ahead of her competition and has for such a long time and, and what they're doing to catch up and then what she's doing to prepare herself for the Olympic Games in 2024 this summer. I learned a lot and uh, I'm constantly impressed by the youth sailors of today and the learning curve is so much steeper and they're far more advanced than I was at my time at, at, during their age. And it's exciting to, to, to speak to these individuals and know that, you know, we do have promise and we do have hope. But before that, I'd like to thank some of my sponsors. New England Ropes has become a supporter of the podcast. I used New England Ropes personally when I was Olympic sailing. They got you covered everything from your dinghy, from your dock lines, all the way up to your maxi. I wouldn't personally choose anything else. I'd also like to thank another product that I used and a good friend of mine, Seavane and Ryan Mint at Seavane Sailing. His wind indicators were made by sailors for sailors, and I personally wouldn't use anything else. And as always, please go to podiumboats.com. You need a VSR or charter a boat anywhere in North America. Go to the link in the description below and send me a message and I'll sort you out. So with that all out of the way, here's my interview with Daniela. Alrighty, Daniela. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the Painful Truth Podcast. I can't wait to uh, to talk to you and kind of hear some of your stories and where you're headed next. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to the podcast, um, and it's been super interesting. So I was very excited to come on. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully we can we can get your sp- perspective as well, and hopefully inspire some of these youth sailors to come up. And and kind of with that, I want to transition into my first question, which is what drives you as a competitor? You know, it's one of those questions I ask, uh, each one of my guests and, and yeah, w- what's the thing that makes you get going? What's the thing that, that gets you on the water and wanting to beat everybody else? Yeah. Um, I know it's actually, it's been really interesting hearing like the different answers to that because everyone is so different. And I think for me, it's been, I've always naturally just been a very competitive Mm -hmm. person and growing up, no matter what sport I did, like I did a ton of different sports growing up. I did like tennis and water polo and dance and eventually like swimming kind of became my main sport all through Mm -hmm. middle school and high school. But no matter, no matter what I was doing, I like always just needed to be the best, like in my class or whatever it was. Um, And so then eventually when I got into kiting, it kind of ebbed into kiting and I loved like the feeling of improvement and the feeling of getting better. And this like, yeah, that, that progress you feel and that feeling of reward that you get, like when you improve at something. Um, and so now I feel like I'm really driven by seeing how well I can do and seeing how much I can improve and, um, I'm super rewarded by like feeling that sense of progress. Yeah, so absolutely. I guess that's like 
that's kind of it. What What are some um, carryovers you've experienced? Because obviously you said you've done other sports like swimming and, and dance. Actually, I find that really interesting. Um, you know, have you noticed that you've taken things that you learned at a younger age from those sports that you've been able to carry over into your kiting? Yeah. Oh my God. A hundred percent. I, so swimming was like my main sport starting in middle school, pretty much. I was a year round swimmer. Um, I did the like five thirty AM morning practices three times a week before school. Yeah. Pretty, um, pretty hardcore. So that was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was like my main thing. Mm. Um, and swimming taught me so much. I think the biggest of which being just discipline, mm. um, and kind of, creating your whole like even just prioritizing and periodizing your day yeah. um just to like be able to go to sleep early enough that night to be able to like wake up for morning practice the next morning so having like the discipline and being able to prioritize your time and time management and then also just like working with a coach which I think is Obviously, it's a very unique thing in sailing and in kiting, but at least in swimming, like your coach writes your sets and tells you what to do and like helps you manage how to peak and like when to taper and all of that for whatever your your peak meet is that year. Um, And so it's interesting, like going from a sport where everything is so like top down in the sense of like your coach telling you exactly what to do um, compared to Exactly. Yeah. Compared to sailing now where, you know, the last like five, six, seven years, I've just been like figuring out how to do everything on my own pretty much with kiting. And I've taken over a lot of things from swimming, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, like going to those different extremes. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and the thing that's different from sailing relative, you know, cause there's all these different sports in the Olympics and you have like track and field. It's like a hundred meters is a hundred meters. And the differences aren't mm-hmm. that great. Obviously saying there's so many different variables that can affect that, you know, and, and I have a huge respect for like endurance athletes, you know, like, cause you know, you or I, when we're out there sailing, your mind's always engaged. You're like, Oh, what's the wind doing? What's, you know, my competition doing, you know, but then you have, marathon runners who get into this like almost hypnotic state and can just do that for you know hours on end i'm like i I don't know if i have that and it's kind of fascinating like all the different facets of competing and then obviously the olympics with the different sports and variations um yeah it's it's funny you talk about that specifically and it's cool how you've been able to take swimming and take some of those those experiences and and i think a lot of sailors lack that i think that's actually a, a an advantage that you have relative to some others is it's it's always easy to get in the weeds of sailing and say oh it was a shift or whatever else when in reality you know it could you just didn't put the work in right yeah exactly and even like i always would blame myself first Mm -hmm. like if something happened in kiting and over time like as I got better and as I developed the skills and as I gained more experience I had to learn to actually like blame other things and wait not necessarily blame but like be able to place some kind of responsibility on other things because I would always like start tearing myself down first yeah um and now I've learned like actually like this day like 
this just like this kite was just not working properly or like the foil was just not behaving the way it normally does or just things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's been interesting, like having to make that mental switch too. So, so that kind of transitions into, into something else I'm curious about, which is a lot of sport and and obviously with foiling specifically, you know uh, I mean, I, I think, the, the nice thing with foiling is it can highlight things easier because the speeds are so much higher. You get cavitation at, you know, certain speeds you, you, you can tell, okay, well, there's something going on here with, with the same thing could still be true with, you know, traditional sailboats, but the details are like really, really small because things are happening slower. So it's like harder to pick up on them. How are, how are you able to, besides like, Clearly, your own experience is a huge piece of this, knowing what the difference is between one and the other. But are you taking measures to to do like measurements or, you know, scientifically trying to figure out, you know, through data points, what might be happening? Yeah, it's been interesting trying to figure some of those things out because I feel like now... I've been Mm -hmm. kite foiling for 10 years now. So at this point, I have a lot of experience, a lot of time on the water. And I'm at the point where I have a pretty good idea of like what a fast kite feels like or how a good foil feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first kind of data point I would say that we're using is actually just my feel and how um, and like my feedback on it. And then next we kind of move to like lining up with someone else because like you said, there's just so many variables that it's so hard to like, even from Mm -hmm. GPS data to have an accurate like representation or even analysis of how the equipment is performing. Um, So the first thing we rely on is just my feel. Um, And then we definitely do some like measurements on the kite and scan foils and things like that. Um, And it's interesting, even like last winter, we were testing a bunch of different foils and um, there was like a, I think it was like a 2% or 5% difference in, um, in like stiffness in the mast. And like, I could tell exactly which mast felt stiffer or softer. Um, and that gave me a big boost of confidence because I was like, okay, like I'm not making things, these things up. Like I actually, I'm pretty spot on with these things. Um, so that's like the biggest thing we kind of use for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've always thought, obviously, you know, it's always hard to get with the amount of time and everything else, but, uh, get a university of some sort with, uh, uh, with a tow tank or a fluid tank, you know, and being able to put foils through and test different, you know, textures and compounds on the foil and, you know, whatever else would be a really interesting kind of project to, to see, you know, how even different salinities and water, you know, how does, how does a fresh, how does the foil perform in fresh water relative to brackish or, you know, saltier, you know, because I'm sure, you know, you're originally from the Bay area and, you know, we've had a whole bunch of rains, you know, with all that, you know, fresh water coming into the bay, I'd be willing to bet the way the foil feels is probably different, you know, and then knowing how to optimize that would be a huge advantage. Yeah, yeah, totally. Even like, when we've raced on Lake Garda, for Mm. example, which is all fresh water compared to being in the med, which is super salty. I mean, it feels like a completely different foil. And we'll even find that like, 
some brands of foil just perform better in the other just like, due to shapes and whatnot, water yeah. conditions totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah yeah just due to shape and finish and things like that so yeah it's been really interesting like getting getting down and dirty with all these things yeah no that's awesome so you've been at the top of the kiting fleet for a really really long time you know i know it's it's got a, I, I kind of was the opposite, you know, you, you've always had the target on your back and I was kind of like the, the wolf lurking in the shadows kind of thing. So from that perspective, wh- what are some of the challenges you've experienced being in that position and, and how are you planning on staying there? And I'm sure it's a, a hard thing to do. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah. So it's been hard for sure, especially like in the last couple of years. Um, and even in those, you know, first several years where I was racing, I started racing back in like 2013, 14 was when I started racing internationally. Um, and back then it wasn't in the Olympics yet, but there was a like small fleet of women and bigger fleet of guys that were pretty um, like dedicated to just kite racing. So we had a really great fleet. Um, and yeah, I won my first world championship at 15 in 2016. And at the time, like swimming was still my main sport and Mm. kiting was like something I did on the weekend. It was like a hobby. Um, but over the years, like eventually got into the Olympics and I kind of knew that the world was going to catch up and I like I knew it was coming and I knew like it was just going to get more and more competitive um but I just wasn't really sure what it would look like and in what ways like people would catch up um so it was weird in a way because I was almost like waiting for it to happen Mm -hmm. um because that's the thing like in a proper like developed Olympic class it's just not realistic to be winning every single regatta for years on end um which was which is what I was doing at that point. Um, And yeah, so it was just this kind of weird phase of like waiting for everyone to catch up. Um, But I knew like I still had so much to learn and I didn't go full-time campaigning until like summer 2022 was when I went full-time campaigning because I was like still in high school and then went to college and then, got to do some CLGP and I was just like, I always had some, something else I was doing on the side. Um, whereas like the British team or the French team, like all of these women especially were like Mm -hmm. full time already starting by late 2018, early 2019. And they had like coaching the whole time. Like I didn't have, I, I started getting coaching like part time, like a few weeks of the year at the beginning of, or I guess it was like early 2021. Yeah. Um, and besides that, like throughout, you know, the seven years that I'd been kite foiling before that, like I was doing everything on my own. So I was like, Hey, all these countries have these massive programs and all these resources that they're throwing into it. Like, you know, they're (laughs) hopefully their investment pays off, you know, like they're going to be catching up. Um, and then last year was, particularly tough I think because like I basically had my worst year of results ever um which was kind of a hard pill to swallow and Mm -hmm. I think I I got really burnt out early in the season and I started I think this whole backdrop of like 
knowing I kind of needed to qualify for the Olympics Mm -hmm. that year. Um, And kind of like by the end of the 2023 racing season, like I was like, okay, I need to qualify for the Olympics this year um, so that I can have like a really, a really good lead up into the games and not have to do the like domestic trials in Miami over the winter and that whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I really like, I need to qualify this year. So I was really like, grinding myself and really forcing myself to go on the water and train a lot and like be getting a lot of hours and now like looking back I see how unnecessary that was in a way because I don't need hours on the water I need like I just need really high quality hours yeah um and eventually like me being really unhappy and really like I would, I was waking up in the morning and my first thoughts would be like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to go on the water today. Like, I don't want to be putting my wetsuit on later. I was just getting this like overwhelming sense of dread yeah. of about training. Um, and I think that was a big reason why I just like didn't perform well in any regattas last year. I mean, I did fine. Like yeah. I kind of survived the year, but considering how like awful I felt inside, mm. I was like, okay, it's like, you know, Third at the test event, second at, yeah, yeah, third at the test event, second at the, um, at French Olympic week in here, and then, like, fourth in Palma, which was my first time off the podium ever, and then, like, fifth at Worlds, which was my worst Worlds result ever, obviously, so it was, like, kind of tough, but then I was like, okay, I just need to, like, really reset at the end of the year, um, and, but it was weird because that whole time, like, as everyone else seemed like they were getting faster and, like, catching up and kind of passing me, yeah. I kept going back, again, like, going back to myself, like, what am I doing wrong here? And, like, kind of what is wrong with me? And I still kept, like, blaming myself on the inside. Um, and that just, like, didn't do me any good, obviously. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's been, like, it's been hard definitely having the – the target on my back especially this past year but now like I took a really big break over the winter and I'm actually like really excited about training again and I'm feeling really good and I like I had my first training camp since August basically um just a couple weeks ago and it was honestly one of my best training camps ever and just the fact that I was like having so much fun being back on the water and absolutely like frothing on my training. Like it was, I I feel really good about being in this position. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, you live, you learn. Yeah. Finding some (laughs) balance for sure. So, so what are some of the differences or, or like advantages that you've seen that your, your competition has gotten, you know, obviously you mentioned, um, just the, the amount of resources and, you know, my, my whole thing is I've always said, it doesn't matter what class these other, you know, countries compete in. It's the fact that they have the infrastructure in order to invest and they know, you know, roughly what, what they need in order to get their athletes to perform at the highest level. What are you witnessing personally that, you know, they do relative to what we may do here in the U S um, yeah, there's just, there's just so many things that, that they're doing really well and that they're doing better. I think, I mean, obviously the biggest thing that is, that sticks out a lot is just the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're able to, even if they're, 
they're they have these amazing training groups and even if not everyone is in like the top 10 top 20 they're able to get funding for training partners which pushes the whole squad so mm-hmm. that's a big thing i see and then um even like the brits for example they were you know they've already selected who's going to go to the games it's ellie aldridge but there's three other girls that are all also very fast and probably, yeah. you know, top 10, top 15 in the world. And they're, they were partners. still here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They were, they were here in Mexico with her like a couple weeks ago and they're, you know, they're still getting funding to, yeah. to train with her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's been, that's been a big one. And then I think it's also interesting that like in a lot of the other countries, the, the training plan is a lot more like, written out for the athletes and they have like again British sailing team is a great example Joe Glanfield is there and his sole job is to like create the training plans or kind of help help the athletes create their training plans and programs and and all that that, yeah exactly yeah and right now like I'm doing that for myself. And obviously I have like really great mentors and um, yeah. like coaches and I've input on that from people that I really trust. Yeah. But in the end, like it's all up to me. And so, but you know, Joe Glanfield has overseen, you know, the winning of like, I don't know how many Olympic medals. And it's yeah. like on one hand and I'm, there might be some science to it. How, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah so, for sure. No. But, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, but like, how thing, am I yeah. supposed to compete against that? You yeah. know, like how how am I supposed yeah. to write a better or like create a better program for myself than like yeah. Joe Glanfield will for yeah. the British team? You know, so yeah. it's like it's just things like that where I'm like, you definitely feel a bit not defeated, but you feel a bit discouraged about those things because it's like, wow, they just have so much going into it and like so much going for them. Yeah. Um, and here I am, like doing my thing like haven't finished college yet you know don't have a job like haven't done any of those real life things and I'm just like trying to figure out how to like run this business you know um so it's tough it's tough but at the same time like you learn so much and you have so much fun along the way and it's so rewarding when you when you figure it out um so it's yeah there's a lot of like really fun parts to it as well yeah the the bandwidth thing i think has always been a problem is you know i i always say you only have so many hours in the day you know and you can only make x amount of decisions you know so the more you have to do with things that distract you from you know focusing on your foot placement on the board or you know your tacking technique or whatever it may be like that can can mitigate your overall performance on the water you know and i think that's kind of kind of what you're saying and i i agree you know having those experts to just kind of resign that responsibility over to someone else and trust them that's a big thing too obviously with trusting your coach and and everything else um and have confidence with like their decision making it makes your job on the water much much easier hello i don't know but um, yeah, so no. So another thing, too, is I wanted to ask you is what do you see as some of your biggest challenges between now and the Olympic Games? Um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, I mean, so kind of reflecting on that, and I know you've talked about this before, is mm-hmm. like time is the great equalizer. And yeah. 
like doing an Olympic campaign is all about figuring out how to maximize the time that you have. Um, so I think a big thing will be for me and like for my team and for the people that are working with me is to figure out how we best use the time. Um, and also just to make sure we're really enjoying all of it. Um, because I mean, it's an amazing opportunity and it's, there's going to be so many cool things that happen along the way. And I know in the past, I've always performed better when I was having fun and when I was enjoying everything. So I really want to like, I really just want to have fun this year and I want to enjoy the experience and I want to like, yeah, I I want to make the most of it and like make the most of all these opportunities that will come up along the way. So I think like figuring out how to use the time as best as possible um, and then just enjoying everything that comes along the way. How how do you deal with stress and like nerves? Like like what's your approach on, you know, dealing with those things? Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we Um, all are, but I'd be interested to know what your take is, you know, on how you, when those, those feelings and those nerves kind of creep in, like what are some, some things you do maybe to, to help subside them? Because I know there's probably a lot of people out there who have the same feelings. It'd be interesting to know someone who's performed as well as you have, what, what you've done in the past. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so individual, Mm -hmm. I think. And it like, you kind of just have to, you have to try stuff and figure out what works for you. And it's been a big conversation with my sports psychologist, actually. Um, And I'm, I work with Jessica Muller from the US sailing team, and she's phenomenal. I've like really been, I've been working with her for almost two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been a big conversation lately is like, how do we when I get distracted, or when I get like, stimulated in certain ways, and when I when I start going down some what we call is like unhelpful thought processes mm-hmm. is how do I bring myself back to the, like my ideal competitive mindset. Yeah. Um, and a big thing for me is like just figuring out small ways to kind of engage my mind into something that if I'm not racing, like how can I disconnect myself from the racing and like enjoy whatever I'm doing. So A lot of times, like, before racing, and I was doing this a lot, like, before the 2022 World Championships, and which was the regatta where I performed really well, is I love, like, listening to really calm music. Mm. Um, And so one of my favorite go-tos is, like, the 10-minute version of All Too Well from Taylor Swift, (laughs) which is, like, really particular. But it's, like, it's super calming, but, like, also empowering. And so, like, figuring out, that kind of music that like helps you focus and helps you get into your good mindset. Um, And then I also, I really like reading and then, and there's this like particular book series that I will literally like read on the beach before I'm going racing. Oh, it's awesome. Um, Because it's, I like to, I kind of like to get into like a racing alter ego when I go on the water and reading this particular series, like, helps me get into that because it's a really like badass female protagonist. Yeah. Um, and she's, uh, she, she's just very like ambitious. Um, it's like very arrogant in some ways, which sometimes I feel like, especially even as a woman and like as a female athlete, sometimes mm-hmm. like we just tend to be super overly humble and I just need to like overcome that a little bit and just mm-hmm. be a little bit more confident and like, you know, hold my, 
chin up a bit higher and throw my shoulders back. And so like reading this particular series really helps me um, kind of get into that like alter awesome. ego. Yeah. Um, so that those are like some of the things that have helped me, which is like very specific to me. <laughs> no, I think that's great. You know, I think, you know, you'd be amazed how many people, you know, y yes, it is all individualistic, but um, at the same time, someone's going to be listening to this and be like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that really resonates with them. So, you, you know, I, what was the moment that you knew you wanted to go to the Olympic Games? Um, so I think I've always, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. Um, and I remember watching the, I think it was like the 2008 Beijing Summer Games. Mm. Um, I remember watching that. And then I remember watching like the, I think it was 2010 Winter Games. I think it was like, I want to say it was Vancouver or yeah. something like that. Um, and I remember watching like Lindsey Vaughn and Sean White doing like skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. And then like the 2008 Summer Games, I remember watching that and being like, wow, I really want to do that. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was doing all these different sports, so I didn't really know like which sport I guess I wanted to do it in. Um, and then eventually like I was kiting a lot and then kiting got into the games. And I remember pretty much by the end of 2018, it, it was kind of like, it wasn't a hundred percent, but it was like rumored that kiting yeah. was going to go into the games. Um, and I remember at the 2018 world championships in Aarhus, I remember like I won that year and it was, it was the big, like yeah. the combined ISAF world or like yeah, the yeah. big combined. Yeah, exactly. The combined world. Yeah. And it was such a cool event. And it was, I remember like they did a really proper um, award ceremony where you like, you're up on the big stage mm -hmm. and um, I had like the American flag over my shoulders and they played the anthem. And I was like, wow, I, I really want to experience this like at the Olympics at the big stage. Um, so pretty much after that, exactly after that, I was like, okay, like I'm doing this. <laughs> it's That's happening. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, how do you deal with some of those distractions? Like in, in average everyday life, you know, obviously we all go off and we compete and we do this, you know, this cool sport and traveling all over the world and all that. But how do you, how do you kind of maintain some of that other, those other aspects of, you know, everyday life. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because I've been reading this book recently that my sports psych recommended to me. Hmm. Um it's called The Confident Mind and in it it talks about like how every day you're going to have below average moments or you know you're going to have these like below average days and even weeks sometimes where you're just like not feeling good or you're going down these like unhelpful kind of trains of thought yeah um and it's interesting because reading about this really helped me because I've started thinking about those as like a stepping stone into as like getting closer to whatever your definition of success is because you need to have those days and get through those days in order to step closer to your success yeah. um and so anytime I have something like that, which I mean, it, it happens to all of us and it happens even to me where I'm thinking like, I've been doing this for 10 years, like maybe I don't have it in me anymore. Like, I don't know if I have the energy to keep doing this. And like, it totally, it's totally normal and it happens. And I've even noticed like, 
as a female athlete, it like happens more often at certain times of the month because that's like when that's how your hormones fluctuate. And it's yeah. like sometimes it's not even your fault. It's just like yeah, it's a good, it's whatever a good thing to recognize, is, though, right? You're like, OK, you know, like, yeah, what's going yeah. On and here? it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, like sometimes I'm going to have these days where I feel absolutely shit about myself mm-hmm. when like it's just it, it's just one of those days like it's just a shitty day. Um, and so, but now I've just started thinking about those days and anytime I have those like negative or unhelpful thoughts that it's just like, it's just a stepping stone and it's just taking me one step closer to actually succeeding or to actually having a really good day or a really good moment. Um, and I just, I think to myself, like, I, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of practice, but the first thing is like, you need to recognize that you're having this like unhelpful thought process and then you're like okay this isn't helping me and it's not going to help me like to keep thinking about this so like I'm going to focus on something else um and it doesn't even have to you don't have to tell yourself like I'm the best in the world like you don't you don't have to like I don't know be unrealistic to yourself or you don't have to like over exaggerate anything but even just like somehow engaging your mind in a different way like I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart recently <laughs> and cause I just, I love racing yeah. and it's like a great thing to do. That's like really chill. doesn't take much energy. Yeah. I can use my Norma text when I'm doing it. Um, but like even doing something kind of stupid like that, that just helps engage my mind in a different way or like yeah. reading or journaling, or there's like so many things you can do that can help engage your mind that, that will take you down a more helpful thought process. Um, but you have to like figure out what works for you. So, no, I think that's a very, uh, profound thing you just said and something I didn't figure out till later on. Um, I think I maybe subconsciously kind of knew about it, but didn't, didn't, you know, when you get older and you look back and you think about your, your competing and all that, you, you, you get a better idea of it, but you know, exactly what you're saying is acknowledging those rough days are part of the process. I think that's a huge, huge thing. Um, and it's, it's awesome to hear you've, you know, kind of recognized that at such a young age. So another question for you. What do you love about sailing? Ooh, so many things. <laughs> um, I think I, I've always loved going fast. Hmm. So obviously foiling makes me go pretty fast on the water. And I always, I also grew up, so my parents were windsurfers. So I like grew up around windsurfing and yeah, and that was how I eventually got into kiting. And I always loved like just being outside and being in the water and being out in nature. So I love how kiting and sailing is a, is a way to kind of harness nature and be out in the elements and be at one with, all of that. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really unique feeling that you don't really get to experience in any other way. So I love that aspect of it as well. And then I also love competing too. So it's like all of these into one that I love about it. What would you say are some of the, like, what's been one of the most challenging aspects of your sailing growing up or, or, you know, just from your, you know, going full time into competing for your Olympic medal? Um, I think the toughest part has been just figuring out like how to, how to schedule everything and how to Mm -hmm. like create your training program. Because 
I feel like, especially coming from swimming, where, like, you miss one day in the pool, and the next day it, like, takes you two, three days to get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of started to feel about kiting in that way, where I felt like if I didn't, if I, like, missed a training session or if I wasn't training enough, like, I just felt like I was never doing enough. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to learn that I actually, like, I need to, I need to take days to rest. I need to take days to recover and, and recovery can, and rest can look like many different things. It's not just like doing nothing on the couch in bed for a day. It can be like, yeah, yeah, it can be like going to do another activity. Like I've been trying to play more tennis lately. I've been trying to swim more and like here in Mexico, I've been trying to go play pickleball and like, I just, I have fun doing these other things. Um, and I used to like, just think if I, if I wasn't going on the water, then I wasn't training when actually like, especially if you're doing a campaign in the U S like you're, there's so many other things you're doing because you're literally like running this business. Um, so I'm like, I need to plan logistics. I need to book flights. I need to book accommodation. I need to plan like how I'm going to get from Palma to here. And like, I need to, you know, figure out all of these things. I need to fundraise. I need to write emails to donors and potential sponsors. Like there's just so many of these other things that you need to do. Yeah. Um, I need to like, yeah, figure out when I'm going to receive gear, when I'm going to test it, how I'm going to test it. And yeah. like, there's, yeah, there's like so many of these things that you need to do. So even before, like if I, I say like if I wasn't going on the water, then I just told myself I wasn't I was resting or like I wasn't training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Whereas actually like a lot of times I would still go to the gym and I would be like I was still on, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was still working. And so now I I think I do a lot a much better job of actually resting and like taking days to recover Mm. and just enjoying my time a little bit more and like doing these other activities that like just make me have fun and like doing these things that are ways for me to enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, so that's like been a big thing to figure out, um, and learn to kind of balance and manage. So what would you say is your biggest strength and what's your biggest weakness? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think one of my biggest strengths is just kind of like commitment and dedication and being willing to do the work. Yeah. Um, because right now and even over the last like 10 years that I've been foiling, like I've always been super willing to just do whatever it takes. And I think that's taken me a very, very long way. Um, and Yeah. And I, I've always been like, I always wanted to be the one that was like working the hardest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a big strength for me. And then weakness is probably like (laughs) learning to rest and like learning that taking that like rest isn't taking my foot off the gas, but it's putting fuel in the tank. I saw that recently and I was like, wow, this is like such a good way to think of rest and recovery. Like, it's not that you're like resting is actually improving you and it's like, it's still moving the needle, you know? Um, 
so I think like learning to do that and learning how to recover and like just rest has been kind of a big weakness and it definitely like it it was a big um big factor last year in my racing especially so making sure you yeah. don't feel like you're slacking you're like nope I'm supposed to be doing this right now instead of you know oh man I'm a lazy <laughs> you know, or whatever else it is right yeah, yeah, yeah exactly sure. yeah and it's so it's so easy to get into that mindset because you're like oh all these other people are training like mm. they're still going on the water but then I need to remind myself like actually like they need the hours like so they should be training yeah, yeah. and I don't need all those hours anymore like I just need to like do these particular things and I know like they're in my schedule and I know I'll be able to accomplish them. And like, I just need to trust that process. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a know, struggle. It's, it's, a, it's, it's funny you say that because there was a moment in my sailing before the uh, 2016 Olympics that I sailed, you know, I, I didn't have a coach for the longest time. And then Luther Carpenter came in and him and I worked together really well. And yeah, we right. basically generated a pathway between where I was then and, you know, the start of the Olympic games. Um, and it was like you said, just believing in that path and believing in that plan is what gave me the ability to go off and just perform, you know, it, it eliminated mm -hmm. those, uh, those doubts and everything else. It's like, oh, well, no, this, you know, Luther's the man. He told me to do this. I'm going to go do that, you know? And, uh, yeah, yeah I yeah. totally hear you and echo in that. that process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. So if you could give your younger self or let's we'll start with this if you could give your younger self some advice what would it be um it would probably be just to like keep enjoying everything and keep enjoying all the ups and downs um because and just remember like why I started in the first place I think I wish I had just reminded myself that more because the reason I started was because I just loved being on the water. I loved going fast and I love like feeling that sense of improvement. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and there's going to be days like where you're going to feel like really horrible and there's going to be those really tough days. Um, but they're just getting you like one step closer to the good days. Yeah. Um, so just, yeah, reminding yourself why you're doing it and keep working hard, keep having fun. Um, and it's all, it's all going to come together when it's meant to. Yeah. If you could give your advice, some advice to like someone younger growing up that wants to follow in your footsteps, what would those be? Um, shred till dead, <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> go. Go. she'll put that on a bumper sticker <laughs> or something, you know, you should just trademark like, that. Yeah, well, I literally, I tell myself that all the time, just, like, you know, go out on the water and just, like, go shred, go have fun, like, we're meant to be enjoying this, and um, even, like, like my coach Chris and I will tell each other that in between races, or I'll tell him that, like, when he's going out kiting, like, for fun, we're just like, yeah, shred till dead, because, like, that's what we're meant to be doing, and that's why we should be doing this, because we just love it, and, like, we're having fun. Um, so I would say, yeah, like put the hours in, you know, work hard, but like just have fun doing it because I genuinely think that the, the most successful people are honestly the ones that are having the most fun because in order to do the work that is required, you need to be enjoying that whole process. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So if you're having the most fun doing it, then you're going to be able to do that work and you're going to be really successful and it's all going to come together. So I think just like, yeah, keep shredding, shred till dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, I love that. So what what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for young sailors coming up, you know, that, that may want to do this in 2028 in, in LA? What, what are some of the things that they should look out for and, and plan for um, in order to get where you are? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's super exciting that it's a home games, I think. And first off, it's are you going to sail this... again? Yeah. I mean, there you I'm, go. I'm All right. Let the people know yeah. that's what's up. Some of those young whippersnappers, yeah. you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm still. It's crazy because I feel really old in a sense because yeah. I feel like I've been doing it for so long, but I literally, I just turned 23. Like I've still got a lot yeah, ahead of, of me time. and I need to like remind myself. I'm yeah, 33. I'm myself old. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think like some of the things to look out for, I think the, the, the kind of, unfortunately it has to be kind of a choice of mm-hmm. like between college and Olympic campaigning. Yeah. I totally um, agree. Yeah. And, and it's a really tough one, but my, my thoughts were like, I can, so I basically, I did like three, I almost graduated in three years and I was able to do like 80, 70, 80% of it online because of COVID. Um, now I have one semester left at university of Hawaii to, before I get my degree and my thoughts toward it were like, I can always go back to college. Um, but I, I would hate to like get through the Olympics or like not qualify for the Olympics even and wish that I had like quit school earlier, Mm -hmm. um, or wish I had just like spent more time campaigning full time or like put more effort into it. No, and you left something Um, on the table. So I think, yeah, yeah. So I think that was a, you, you kind of just have to figure out what's really important to you in that at that point. And I think I, I was really, I'm a really thoughtful and like reflective and introspective person. And so I definitely, I feel like I knew what I, what I wanted and I knew what my goals were and I felt like I knew myself pretty well. So it was kind of easy almost for me to make that decision. But I think when you're at that age and when you're like going from high school into college, like there's still so much maturing left for you to do. And there's still obviously so much to learn like all through life, but especially at that point. Um, So it can be, it can feel really, really hard to make that decision, but you just have to go back to like what your values are at that point. And it's fine if your values change over time, but at that point, like what is important to you and you have to let that kind of guide the choices you're, you make um, and like how you make your decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that's not like the most clear advice, but I, I think that's kind of like what I would look out for when, especially for those youth sailors that are like starting to make that decision or will be having to make that decision between like campaigning and college, because I just, yeah, it's just so, so hard like to be able to do both yeah. well. Um, and it's so hard to, yeah, like, it can be done, but it's just so, so hard and it's so draining. And like I did it for a couple of years and yeah. um, it's just, 
there's just no recovery. There's no rest. And it's, it's really, really hard. Yeah. Um, so do, yeah, do it's, like, a, it's just yeah. something to think about. Do you feel like that might've been at some point in time, you know, to be totally frank, like that your competition from these other countries were able to make a big jump on you, you know, as you were kind of at the front in the, the, the pioneer of this sport. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go off, you do that. And then everyone else is just gaining, gaining, gaining ground that whole time. Right. Is that kind of what you feel in a way or. Um, I do a little bit, honestly, where hmm. I feel like on one hand, I feel like always having something else to do was kind of nice because it gave me kind of, uh, it, it allowed me to disconnect from whatever the other thing was. So if I yeah. like was, if I needed to do like homework or something one night, then it helped me disconnect from racing that day. Or if I was, if I needed to be like at school for some exam and then was traveling the next day, then like going training or kiting or whatever that helped me disconnect mm -hmm. from school. So it was like good in that way. Um, but then it was also like, you know, there were regattas where I my 9am class in Hawaii was at 9pm in Europe and I had to stay up from 9pm to midnight for my like online classes on zoom and then yeah. had to be up for racing the next morning and like, of course, I'm not going to be like, sounds a little counterproductive that day. Like, how can I? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. How can like, you can't expect yourself to do that, which is fine. Like, maybe yeah. it's just like, this thing, it's all a process and that's a process regatta and you're just like trying to learn. But um, it, it's really easy to kind of get like swept up into that. And, and then you're like looking at the results and you're like, oh, I did like pretty shit that day. Yeah. And like, wow, think about how much better you could be like if you didn't have class the night before, you know. So it's like it's just something you kind of have to figure out. And um, but at the same time, I do think that like. I, I stopped college at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, and now like after the Olympics, I'll, I'll be able to go back and finish it and I'll have like some structure after the Olympics, yeah. whether it's, I do, I finish fall 2024 or spring 2025. Like mm -hmm. I'll have that kind of thing to look forward to. That's very different. Yeah. Um, so I think looking back, like, you know, you, you make, you make the choices you have to make like with whatever information you have available. And yeah. I think even looking back now, even with, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think I made the right choice at the right time. So that's great. Yeah. What, what are the things I think general U S you know, the pop U S populist sailing kind of community struggles with is understanding that time commitment and understanding the, amount of effort it takes to go off and try and win a medal you know a lot of people in the u.s do sailing as a hobby and for fun you know they go in the summertime you do a you know regatta on the weekend and you know they i feel like there there's a disconnect between that and understanding what it really takes to win a medal at the olympic games um do you kind of feel like that happens to you at times? Like people they're you know, they kind of give you the pat on the back, like, Oh, nice job. And, and you're like, Hey man, like you have no idea what it took in order to go and do that is, do you, do you feel that as well sometimes? Yeah, I do a little bit. Um, someone, so someone once told me that the way they kind of experience that is like the amateur sailors in the u.s see the olympic sailors as professionals mm -hmm. but then the professional sailors in the u.s see 
the Olympics halos as amateurs. And yeah, so that's a good way of looking at there's it. no like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really, at, at the time when someone told me that I didn't really like fully understand mm. that, but mm-hmm. then the more I got exposed to professional sailing and now like, Carlos, my boyfriend, he's in professional sailing. And the more I like hear about and learn about that whole world, the more I'm like, wow, I really like, I get it. Um, and, and yeah, it's hard because you definitely like, you definitely feel like you get looked down upon a little bit in the professional sailing world. Um, and, and it's not from everyone. Like there are some like wonderful people out there and I have, I've had plenty of experiences where people like want to know how it's going they you know they they want to keep in touch and they mm-hmm. want to like they want to support and they're really genuinely interested in it and they they see like how hard you're working yeah um but a lot of the times it happens that those sailors are sailors that have <laughs> also campaigned before yeah um so it's yeah, it, it's a it's a tricky one. Th- um, yeah, I think it's a strictly a U.S. Yeah. problem because you know you look at professional sailing yes. in other countries and you see the Brits and you see obviously the Kiwis and you know even the Italian team and they're literally all of the if you look at it from the America's Cup, which a lot of those professional sailors will say is the pinnacle yep. of you know competitive sailing in in their aspect mm-hmm. of sport. Um, and, you know, they're, they'll always say, oh, you know, if you look at all those other teams, they all have Olympians on them, you know, and it's mm-hmm. uh, exactly it seems yeah. to be an issue, a U.S. issue, not a, a another country issue. Yeah, I know even in the Etchell's fleet, for instance, um, there's a great, great sailor, uh, Luke Patience, and he sails on the on the British Etchell's boat. And um, obviously Malcolm Page, when he was, you know, with the Australian guys and they, they do in other countries seem to value the Olympics at, at a higher level. And I think that is kind of one of the issues we have in terms of funding and, and resources that we get here domestically in the U.S. is they don't that crossover hasn't been made. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's sad and unfortunate. But, yeah, I, I would you would think that someone who dedicates days, years of their life in this pursuit might be pretty good at it at the end, you know, but, uh, for some reason that hasn't, hasn't happened all that much, but, um, yeah, yeah. it's a great way of what you no, said, I, like the I way totally that they agree. look at it. I think that's a great, uh, a really, I've never heard that. And I, I totally resonated with me. So no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So kind of in a more, uh, d- different light, what, where are some of the best places you've sailed and why, like, what are some of your favorites? Oh my gosh. I get asked this all the time and like, I just, I can't commit. I can't commit to one. All right. Top three, top three. All the, yeah, no, it's just like all the places I've gotten to sail are so like unique and different in their own way. And I've had such like different experiences that I still like really appreciate. Maybe we should say the worst. What's the worst place to sail? (laughs) Go go hate on some place right now. (laughs) This place sucks. Don't ever go there. It's the worst. The the worst place, genuinely the worst place is China. Um, (laughs) There's so much garbage. That's that's hilarious. There's so much garbage in the water. Like it's it's horrible. Like I, I will not be going back there. Um, but the best places are, so my favorite is probably San Francisco. There you go. Obviously I'm going to be biased, but like, yeah, but Bay area born and raised. And like, even to this day, like my best conditions are when it's super windy and gnarly and like I can be powered on my 11 meter. Mm. And that's from years and years of just like, shredding into the san francisco bay yeah. 
Um, so I, I just love San Francisco and like, I love how gnarly it is. I love how hard it is. And, um, I love how like, it's a place where you can't like fight the elements. Like you can't try to like, yeah, fight against it. You really have to like become one with it. Um, and so yeah, that, and then like obviously being able to sail under the Golden Gate Bridge and going out the gate, like it's just, it's amazing. It's iconic. I love it. Um, and then I love the place that I'm at right now, which is in Baja, Mexico. It's called, there's two, there's two spots. It's La Ventana and Los Barriles. It's on the Sea of Cortez side of Baja, um, just north of Cabo. And I've been coming down literally my whole life. And my parents have been coming down for 30 plus years now for windsurfing. Um, and so I basically, it's like home away from home. The conditions are amazing. It's super windy all the time. And probably the best place to train in the winter, like in the Northern hemisphere. Interesting. Um, that's but like, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a big like kite spot. Okay, um, it's one right. of the biggest kite spots in North America. So big on kiting, not much, there's no infrastructure for sailing, unfortunately, because otherwise it would be <laughs> you gotta like have a, an only beach spot. launch, you know, and all that. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I li- I'm thinking about bringing my moth down here next winter because it would be like ideal. But anyways, um, yeah. And then another one, I honestly, I love here in the South of France. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, I've just spent so much time it's there. It's a kiting and spot, right? Normally, or, or windsurfing originally, but well, I'm sure kiting now. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I like the spot on the other side of where the regatta is. So there's mm-hmm. a regatta there every year for those that about. don't know. It's called, yeah. 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 On the West Demon side, right? Olympique Francaise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the yeah the regatta is always on the east side of this like peninsula but on the west side there's this massive like mile and a half long beach um and the kiting there is like unreal it's so beautiful it's like especially in the summer or even like spring and fall are unreal don't you get some Um, really awesome like offshore breezes where it's dead flat and you can just rip at crazy speeds yeah, yeah, yeah. The offshore is gnarly yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, I love the Mistral. I love yeah. the Mistral so much. It's so good. But it's, yeah, I so I love going to here. So those are probably like top three um, places. There was uh, there yeah. was one year I sailed in the air and it was like, I think 25 to 30 from the Mistral direction for two days. And then it flipped around from the other direction, 25 to 30, the opposite way with huge swell and the whole thing. It was crazy. You know, it went from like totally dead flat in one direction, yeah. ask, you know, massive waves. And no, it's a, it's definitely one of those places where that it's the only place I've sailed where they did AP over a over two. So you know what that means? No, I've never even heard of that. So, so what it is, is there's no <laughs> sailing for the day for two days. <laughs> so they just, canceled racing they're like it's gonna be way too crazy for two days go like on vacation basically and come back in two days and we'll go yeah like go get out of here yeah 100 percent. no way yeah so no i i love those days yeah mistral the train montana like get me in that every day like that's a good one for me (laughs) so so just to kind of wrap it up i i want to know like where i I think it's it it's interesting for the listeners because one of one of the things is you know, this, this question is answered differently, but where do you see yourself in five years time? Let's say. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and you could say you don't honestly, know, you know, that's, like, uh, that's totally. 
an okay answer as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see myself doing another campaign for LA 2028. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that after this Olympics, I'm gonna need a pretty big break. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely see like LA being a little bit of a shorter campaign for me. Like I could see it being two and a half, three years probably instead of like you know now I was. I kind of feel like I did like a five, six year campaign almost. Well, and you've been kiting um, for and even though it ages, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've been kite foiling for yeah ten years now, yeah. so it's like <laughs> I feel so old in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah. So I definitely, but I definitely want to go for another one, like especially since it's a home games, like in yeah. LA, like kind of it's basically home. Like if I'm, if, you know, if you're from California, yeah. it's just down the coast from San Francisco. Um, so I definitely see myself doing that. I also, I, I got an opportunity to do some work with CLGP over the last few years. So I, if there's an opportunity there, which I kind of like, I'm kind of involved right now, like Mm -hmm. on the, I would say like reserve athlete or like inactive roster right now. But if there's opportunities for that in the future, I would love to do it. Um, and then I also would, I, I got into moth sailing at the beginning of last year and I definitely, I want to do like a moth world. Nice. Um, so I want to sail the moth more and it's just like, I, right now I feel about the moth the way I did, like when I was learning to kite foil, because mm-hmm. it's like, I'm on that, I'm on that part of the learning curve where like every session is so groundbreaking and I'm, I'm just like loving like crashing super hard and then like figuring out how to not crash and yeah. like it's just so much fun um so I definitely want to do some more moth sailing and then finish college at some point along the way like hopefully in the next year um and yeah just keep keep having fun keep shredding shred till dead and uh, yeah we'll see what happens after that <laughs> right on well thank you so much Daniela for the uh the chat and um Best of luck to everything you have in the future. And I know lots of people will be watching and we look forward to seeing what you can do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely follow along because we've got a really big year coming up this or this next six months. Um, so yeah, I on my website is a good place to follow along. And then on Instagram, I post on there a lot and I like to bring everyone along for the journey because I think it's really unique and fun to share all the parts of it. So yeah. Well, I'll definitely put all that information below, and uh, I can't wait to interview you after you're an Olympic medalist, and we can learn all your st- even more stories through that that experience. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Let's do it. <laughs> all righty, congratulations, and uh, look forward to seeing how you go out there. Talk to you later. Well, I personally found that to be a great interview. Daniela really seems to be in tune with who she is as an athlete and as a person at a very young age and knowing how the way she was training and, and, you know, just head down grinding can be a limiting factor and how important rest genuinely is. I think it's a, it's something that not a lot of people give proper respect to, you know, when you are that competitive or in business or whatever it may be, you know, taking those moments to kind of step back, you know, refresh and then, you know, tackle it again, I think are really important. 
personally, you know, I've, I've had experiences where, you know, you're working on a car and you're trying to get this one bolt or nut on and, you know, you try it 10,000 times and it's 11 p.m. And before you know it, you know, you go to sleep, you get back up the next morning, you do it in three minutes. <laughs> so, no, it's it's great to hear um, that amount of maturity at, at uh, such a young age in her competing and in, in comp- in competitive life. Definitely look forward to see what she can do at the Olympics and hopefully uh, can get an interview after she's won a, won a medal and standing on the podium for Team USA. So, thanks again for listening. Please check in the description below in the description below for our sponsors, New England Ropes, Sea Vane Sailing, and PodiumBoats.com. And also look in the description for where you can follow Daniela. Following her journey will be an inspiration to you as it is to me. So, once again, thank you for tuning in to the Painful Truth Podcast. Look forward to seeing you all out on the water. <laughs>